Next on BYU Sports Nation, BYU basketball falls short on the hill in Salt Lake City. What we learned from the latest chapter of the Utes and Cougars rivalry. BYU is in the Las Vegas Bowl. Athletic Director Tom Homo discusses the invite in studio, the annex groundbreaking, and last night in Salt Lake. Plus, our new Jimmer Fredette correspondent makes his BYU Sports Nation debut. What's the latest from Jimmer's chase back to the NBA? Let's go. This is BYU Sports Nation, brought to you by the BYU Store, simulcast on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio. Now, from Studio B, here's Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. BYU Sports Nation live in Radio Vision, presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Thursday, December 3rd, wherever and however you're dialed in, great to have you with us. I am Spencer Linton, teamed up with Bill Walton, Selfie King, Jerem Jordan. I wish I had taken a selfie with Bill Walton. I took a picture with him last night. Uh, in fact, I encouraged Kyle Davis of BYU to take one as well. I said, go over there and take a picture with him, man. You might not get this opportunity again. I can see colors. Before the game, we went and introduced ourselves to him. And I said, hey, we host a show for BYU TV and BYU radio called BYU Sports Nation. And we air on Sirius XM. And he says... Say hi to my friends at Sirius XM Channel 23. I'm like, <laughs> we don't know what that okay, means. So here's your official shout out. We're on 143. Channel 23, Sirius XM. Bill Walton <laughs> says what's up. <laughs> He's the best. The only bad part about going to the BYU-Utah game is we couldn't listen to what Bill Walton was saying. But we saw some stuff on our Twitter timeline that was fun. I'm still waiting for Danny Ainge to do his mission. I thought it was cool (laughs) when you went up to take a picture with him. He said, hey, that guy's from BYU BYU, TV. Hey, BYU TV guy. I was like, Bill Walton doesn't really know who I am? This is going to be a great game. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, he was, he was emphatic that it would be a good game. It ended up being an interesting game, wasn't it? Certainly. Here are today's BYU Sports Nation headlines. We'll get to basketball and much more of that in just a moment. But the Cougar football team officially headed to the Las Vegas Bowl. They announced the invitation yesterday afternoon. BYU now awaiting a Pac-12 opponent. The game on Saturday, December 19th at 3.30 Eastern on ABC National. BYU basketball loses 83-75 at Utah. Chase Fisher scored 26 points all in the second half in the loss. Jakob Pertola also had 20. 26 points and 13 rebounds for the Utes. BYU plays Weber State in Salt Lake this Saturday, live on BYU TV at 3 Eastern. Kyle Collinsworth now on both the Naismith and the Oscar Robertson watch list awarded to the National Player of the Year in college basketball. And Jimmer Fredette put up 22 points, 9 assists, 7 rebounds, and 5 steals yesterday in the Westchester Knicks' 98-97 loss, their first of the season. We'll chat with Jason Franchuk. Uh, formerly of the Daily Herald here in Utah, but now he lives in New York. He was at the game covering it. We'll talk to him in about 40 minutes. He's our Jimmer correspondent. We have a Jimmer correspondent in New York. That's awesome. (laughs) This business is so small, and I love it. (laughs) Rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. You're talking about it, and so are we. It's What's Trending on BYU Sports Nation. A little more rivalry fodder. This team, we have got to put together two good halves for us to be good this year we haven't been able to do that, so we gotta, we got to figure out how to do that. Naismith candidate Kyle Collinsworth speaking at Utah after the Utes hold on against BYU in Salt Lake City, 83-75, despite a furious rally by BYU, especially in the earlier part of that second half. 
The Utes have now beaten the Cougars three straight times in basketball, and the latest chapter provided more than enough rivalry fire and discussion to last, of course, until the two programs meet again. Jeremy, I think it's interesting that Kyle talked specifically about putting together a full game. Yeah, it's tough because against Belmont, BYU played uh, a good offensive half but struggled defensively, and then the second half were, were good on both ends of the court. BYU is still trying to put together two halves, and in this game, BYU did not play well in the first half. In fact, terribly. They were down 24 points. That proved to be too big a hole for BYU to dig out of because in the third quarter, if you will, and one day they'll play quarters, the first 10 minutes, BYU outscores Utah 26-10. to 26 to 10. If BYU's down 15 at half, maybe they win. They 14 at half, maybe they win the game. I don't know. But BYU, uh, it was too big a hole to overcome. And Chase Fisher woke up. BYU played some D. To me, that's a big takeaway. Which brings us to today's Twitter question: What is your takeaway from last night's BYU loss to Utah? Use the hashtag BYUSN at R Greenha. That. We can fight even down big, but on the reverse, we have to start fast. That's a great point. You can get down. You just can't get down by 24. Yeah, BYU didn't shoot the ball well. They didn't play good defense. They changed that 1-3-1 zone with high pressure. Which uh, was amazing. That was something that Utah had not seen, had not prepared BYU for. BYU had not played that zone yeah. a single time yeah. uh, this season. We'll see more of that. Just, But I can't say that BYU should play that all of the time. It's a good wrinkle. It was situational. It's a you, good wrinkle. You see wrinkle. what personnel the other team yes. has and the way the game's going. You don't just launch the one three one thinking it'll be the same. What do you think about the latest rivalry chapter? Send in your tweets using the hashtag BYUSN. Jeremy, you said, number one, it's a disappointing loss. BYU at 4-2. and two. The opportunities, at least from what we can tell right now on the schedule, to really go out and make an impression for the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. Are, we'll talk to one of those guys coming up next. Tom Homo. They're seemingly few and far between depending on what happens in Hawaii. That's conditional. And so, yeah, that's, that's a big game. But the fact that BYU came back and lost by eight, there are so many people on the East Coast, people that matter, that will look at that and say, yeah, they, they played them tough. I don't take a lot of solace uh, in margin of loss, per se. I know that BYU is down 24, and so 8 is better than 24. I'm, I'm not smart, but I know that that's better, <laughs> right? The, the issue uh, is that BYU dug itself a hole in the first place. Uh, just the second true road game for BYU. Uh, lost to Long Beach State, and now to Utah on the road. The issue with BYU right now is that its defense needs to be better. Also, that Chase Fisher has to be more consistent. When Chase Fisher is playing normally, and it seems like it's really on or, or off, no middle ground right now, uh, and the defense is going, if Fisher's going and the defense is going, BYU's a good team. They really are. And the rest of the team feeds off of that energy. Kyle Collinsworth is really consistent. Nick Emery struggled shooting the ball, what, 3 for 15? Corbin Kafusi fouled out, zero points, zero rebounds. Need a little more out of him. He only played 13 minutes because he couldn't stay on the floor. That's a tough matchup. Jakob yes. Pertl is a lottery pick. That dude is really good. That's not my concern. It's the other guys. It's the open threes. It's the penetration. BYU's a good team. They're figuring things out still. Three seniors, one junior. Talent, you need more. You need some bench scoring. You need Toulson, Chapman, uh, Celius, uh, these guys off the bench to provide a little bit more. But it was a learning experience, and it stinks because it's against Utah. It's on the road. It's early in the season. But as we know from the last two years, the season is very long. Dave Rose explained last night after the game what he learned about his team. We've learned a lot about ourselves, and I learned a lot about our team tonight. Uh, and was very pleased with how we competed and actually executed in the second half at times. And we need to get to that. We need to find that and be better at it. 
BYU falls by eight. They were down by 24. The first half, man, it, it, BYU was pacing for something that they did not want. In fact, Utah put up a lot of points against the Cougars. In the and first that is half. our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Utah's 51 points in the first half for the most allowed by BYU in the last 66 games. That's where I thought I thought BYU in the second half was fantastic, but the hole is too big. They allowed 51 in the first half. 51? That's a lot. BYU is going to have a hard time winning games where they give up 50 in a given half. 62 against Ole Miss in the second half of the NCAA tournament. You just that, that was the story in the offseason. Better defense is going to equal a lot for this team. Then there are the dramatics of what happened late in the game. BYU trailing 80-61. to 61. Kyle Collinsworth pulls up for his second three-point make of the season. It goes down, but there's a scuffle underneath the basket between Brandon Taylor and Nick Emery, and then it just kind of got weird. Yeah, and the game was over at that point, um, and there are moments in the rivalry. Of course, you know, there was Marshall Henderson a couple years ago with Nick's older brother, and and uh, Nick has this play that's obviously making the rounds and did last night. And it's unfortunate. Here's what Dave Rose had to say about this situation after the game. I didn't actually see the full play until uh, after I addressed the team. And uh, it looks like when this is sent to the conference office that there will be more than just what happened here tonight. The Lone Peak 3, those guys are feisty, right? Those guys have a lot of, uh, I like the way they play the game. You don't want to see that, unfortunately. Eric Mika, two years ago, had a flagrant two. Uh, Nick Emery gets a flagrant two. I guess this sets up for TJ Haas in 2017 at the Huntsman or whatever. But unfortunately, it sounds like, according to De Rose, he thinks that Nick Emery is going to miss more than or miss more time after this. Now, I thought the way that Jackson Emery, Nick's older brother, former great defender at BYU, all-time steals leader, addressed this really nicely. And he said... Essentially, I love Nick's fire and passion. I don't want that to go away. We just have to figure out a way to channel that. And he's still young. He's still a freshman. He'll, do, do kids make mistakes sometimes? Absolutely. But his older brother, I guarantee, is the first one in his ear saying, hey, don't lose the passion and the fire. Let's find a way to channel that now just into play on the court. Yeah, that's well said because Nick's a fiery guy. I've talked about it. He's an alpha male kind of personality. You don't want that to go away. I love, I love the way that he plays the game. Obviously, you don't want to see that in, on the court. The conversation happening right now on Twitter. Use the hashtag BYUSN and join BYU Sports Nation. What is your takeaway from last night's BYU loss to Utah in basketball? Let's go to the Twitter machine. It's Twitter time. At David Fiso, the second half, down big, the game seemingly out of reach. The Cougars fought back and had a chance in the end. Listen, you build off that. That's a, that's a tough road game for BYU, but I thought they showed something. It, that's a tough environment. That's a really big game, and BYU able to come out in the second half, down 23 to cut it down to seven. I think you can build off that. Chase Fisher, after the game, said, last year we let, we let the Utah loss turn into a four-game skid. We can't allow that to happen this year. So I think there's some senior leadership and recognition of that to say, okay, there's, there's a leak here, but we're going to plug that right now. And if you remember two years ago, BYU had a game get away from them in the Huntsman Center against the Utes, and they were never able to make that comeback. So this was different. This was, even though it's a loss, there was a positive spin, almost a relief that BYU was like, no, we're not going out this way. We're going to fight to the end. We will come back. And Larry Kraskoviak, the Utah coach, credited BYU for doing that. He said they could have mailed it in. So you need to credit them for coming back in a really tough environment and making a game out of it. I thought that BYU could win that game at one point. Unfortunately, Kyle Collinsworth and others got in foul trouble, and then it was a different story. Up next, the athletic director at BYU. 
A man who Bill Walton has described in a way that I've never heard before. We'll tell you about that next. Tom (laughs) Holmo joins us on BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Simulcast on BYU Radio and BYU TV. The conversation happening right now on Twitter. Follow us at BYU Sports Nation. Chime in using the hashtag BYUSN. Tomorrow night, the 13th seed in the NCAA tournament, the BYU Cougars in women's volleyball take on Ohio Friday at 9 Eastern time. We will have that game live on BYU TV, and if BYU wins that match, they'll play the winner of Arizona and Western Kentucky. We would have that as well on BYU TV Saturday night at 9 Eastern time. Spencer Linton on the call in the NCAA tournament. Big match for the Cougars. Yeah, how cool is it that we have that on live TV and with the streaming rights? 13th ranked or 13th-seeded, 11th-ranked BYU women's volleyball. All they do is win, 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 no matter what, Jerem. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice drop. <laughs> Our Twitter question today, what is your takeaway from last night's BYU basketball loss to Utah? At Carson underscore Dudley says, the next few years against the Utes are going to be fun. <laughs> Certainly, that would be the case. That's and, the understatement of oh the day. Oh, my goodness, yes. Rivalry fodder was our A topic <laughs> in the show. You can download the podcast to hear all of that. Joining us now, in the words of Bill Walton, our first guest might be the only Super Bowl champion to ever be on the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee, BYU Athletic Director Tom Homo. Tom, welcome back. That's a conundrum. <laughs> <laughs> Most he's, of what Bill says he's one is of a, a kind, conundrum. Man. He, he enjoys uh, the ability to say whatever and whenever he wants it, to say Great thing. Here's the connection between Bill Walton and Tom Homo. Our brothers were roommates at, BYU, at UCLA in 1969 on the football team. Bruce <laughs> Walton, Steve Holmo. Wow. What in the world? <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Facts. That's wow. unbelievable. We're talking with BYU Athletic Director Tom Homo now in Studio B. What's your schedule like right now between your now increasing NCAA Tournament Selection Committee responsibilities and seemingly being at every BYU game ever? It's busy. It's very busy. But I love it. I'm just glad I have a wife that considers... A BYU volleyball, soccer, or basketball game as date night. <laughs> so, so you those, have a lot of date they count. We got a lot of date nights. <laughs> but I, I really, it's kind of a cool thing that uh, in the position that I'm in and loving to be around those student athletes and at the games, it's a big part of what I do is to see them play and perform because how they play and perform shows a lot about how they're doing. And so it's good for me to be there, be at the practices. I don't go to all the practices, but I step in occasionally just to see. But my wife and children love the games. And so I had my uh, three of my four children and my wife were at the game last night. Not a great game for the Cougs, but it was great for our family to be there and feel the spirit of that game. What did you think of the game last night? You know, it was, it was a very interesting game. I mean, a tale of two cities. Boy. Certainly. Um, I, I think that our team is dangerous, but they have a long way to go to find an identity. That's the thing I think right now. They just don't really have a personality or an identity because they're, they're somewhat up and down. And when they figure it out, and I believe they will, they're going to be really good. But I think that game last night, driving home, having the Homo family caucus to talk about the, <laughs> the, the, the positives the positives and the negatives of the game. Everyone does, right? Oh, yeah. Let me say, no one, my kids aren't exempt, and they tell it to me straight up. You know, most people want to soften their stance with me, yeah. but my kids and wife, they just give it to me straight. Um, 
that that game, hopefully, like you guys said said a little bit earlier, Chase stated that last year that loss really put us in a little tailspin. That cannot happen this year, or this game after that game. And I think that having them come back strong in the second half when they could have gotten blown out of the gym, mm, that that might have been something that was valuable. But there's not a lot of takeaways from last night other than that. When you look at a game like that early in the season, it's an opportunity for BYU to go out and impress NCAA Tournament Selection Committee members and whatnot. How much does an early season game like that affect the way that a team is and their resume for the tournament? A lot. I mean, a lot depends on the, the rest of the season. So if you're a bubble team, which we all know what the bubbles looks like when it comes, they start talking about the bubble right now. Isn't that amazing? Wow. They, Lenardi has the bubble right now if you want to look at it. But... I think that I just remember being in the room and looking at those bubble teams and you're looking back to December for sure and you're analyzing individual games and maybe it was head-to-head matchups back then against like if two teams were on the bubble and they both played the same team, you might go back and look at that game just to see how they played. It's that tight and you can cut it that thin. So that game could. Now, if we run the table and win the rest of our games, that game's not going to matter. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. That's, yeah. a, that's a great point. Uh, what was it like Monday to break ground on the Merritt Center Annex? That was a more kind of emotional uh, deal than yeah. I thought. I, it had been a long time coming. You know, Jeremy, I, I didn't really go into that groundbreaking, anticipating getting emotional or weeping. I don't think Dave did either, but I, I just know that when you're around Coach Rose, he's an emotional guy, and he put his uh, blood, sweat, and tears into this basketball practice facility. And uh, it's a family affair with them. The Roses, all the Roses, the brothers, the wife, the children, the mom and dad, they're all there, and, and they're there. They're, to use the term Brad Rock said this morning, BYU invested. The, 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 the Roses are invested in that program. And uh, I really just think that it, it kind of shows it's, it's going to be part of his legacy. Now, it's not just the Dave Rose show. I tried to make that point that you can go back to uh, Frank Arnold and the former coaches of the past, Coach Steve Cleveland and Roger Reed, and, and all those guys had a, a, some input, and all the players on their teams to be able to <clears throat> kind of put the brick and mortar together to get this thing going. I love the story that was shared about Lavelle Edwards asking for an indoor practice facility decades ago. It takes a long time, and so for Dave to stick with this and make this happen, it's, you know, at that point I was like, wow, I, I understand the emotion behind this. This is an amazing effort. Yeah, and, you know, in those days, things moved with glacial progress. I mean, there weren't very many indoor practice facilities during that period of time. And I'd say now in the last 10 years, everybody has an indoor practice facility, even if you live in Southern California. <laughs> now, not really. But in, in basketball practice facilities, it's just part of if you don't have one, you're not in the game. And so it's not necessarily keeping up with the Joneses or the, the, the facility wars, but it is when you look at what you can do for your program. Because it's not like we looked at every one and said, we got to have it just like that. We looked at a bunch of them to say, what's going to be best for BYU? And we feel that this um, facility is going to be beautiful for us. Let's talk Vegas Bowl. What makes it a great fit for BYU in 2015? I mean, you've been there, haven't you? It's a, it's, it's a great time. When we first went to the first one, people were going, Vegas, what's that going to be like? And we kind of started out something really special. 
with BYU football and the Las Vegas Bowl. It has had different sponsors through the years. Now it's a royal purple. And uh, I just think this year, this edition, it's going to be a great team. I don't know who it is. People ask me at least four times an hour. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know who it is, absolutely. I don't know who it is, but guy, I'm thinking that whichever team it is will be probably the second hardest or maybe not maybe the first hardest game on our schedule this year. Wow. Michigan was a tough game. We didn't we didn't play that one very well, but I'm thinking outside of that game, I'd say whoever we play will you know because of the significance of the yeah. bowl, yeah. Uh, the the opportunity to win 10 games, both teams wanting to vying to finish off strong and kick into next year, it'll be a battle. Well, let's break down the names that John Sassenti, the Las Vegas Bowl director told us yesterday. He said they're targeting USC, UCLA, Cal, and or Utah. I mean, all four of those teams would present a great challenge for BYU coming out of the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, the Pac-12, even though it's, it's ironic that they might not get an, F, uh, an FCS team this year in the four playoff, they could if Stanford wins the game. Maybe. You know, it'll be they interesting. They need a little chaos. They need yeah. some chaos, but, yeah. but probably not. Yet, I thought it was a really good conference this year. I had a chance to watch a lot of the teams, and they're, uh, you know, they're from top to bottom now. They're way more solid. There's no weaknesses in that conference. There's a few at the bottom in the standings that you, they might finish at the bottom, but they're still pretty good teams. But the core of that conference now, solid. Like Ten teams are bowl eligible, right? It's solid. Yeah. If I'm Utah, I don't want to play BYU in the bowl game. Devontae Booker's out. We've won recently. You know, that kind of thing. Is Utah an option? Yeah, oh, sure. Utah is definitely an option. I, I think there's a lot of th- factors that go into who they pick. Um, the Vegas Bowl, the Pac-12, and ESPN, who owns the game. So they're going to get in. We don't have a say in who we play. Um, people say, who do you want to play? It really doesn't matter who I want to play, <laughs> and I'm not going to say. But I would say that all these little f- forces going in, it's they don't have a decision. They haven't made a decision yet. But you know, I'm going to just say I don't think UCLA will be the one because we played them. Most yeah. bowl games don't like rematches of a regular season game, although sometimes you play. I was surprised that Washington State was not listed yesterday. You know, John. That, that seems like an interesting. I'm gonna, I'll give you a little insight into that. I really think that Washington State getting on the map this year. I think they're going to probably go to a different bowl. They might go up. And some people say, well, it's got to be the sixth-place team in the Pac-12. It doesn't have to be that way. The Pac-12 will get together with those bowls, and they'll just make deals. Now, there's certain rules where certain teams can't jump too far ahead. But I think in that case, Washington State has an opportunity that, for not being in a bowl game in, in quite a while to come in and you know, be a good, a good team to jump in for the a game this effect. year. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, people like him. Swing Coug- your sword, man. Cougar alum. Let's go, baby. Yeah. yeah. BYU 9-3 and three with this schedule this year. Tanner Mangum over 3,000 yards. Undoubtedly the greatest freshman quarterback in BYU history, especially when you look at the stats. What do you think about this current team going 9-3 and three against the slate this year? You know, it's a great accomplishment. Um, I, it's, it's interesting when you say this current team is not the team that started the season. Not even close. <laughs> yeah, so Weird, that right? to me to me that's the that's the key is that I'm really impressed with the fact that you know, if you would have told I, I remember, I'll tell you a brief story. I was in that uh, press box at Nebraska and I knew Taysom was out before anybody else. And I'm thinking up there, hmm, Taysom's out. Tanner's coming in, freshman quarterback. We got a wicked season. We might not be bowl eligible. Oh, you men of little faith. <laughs> it took me a few weeks to realize, you know what? We're going to be bowl eligible fast. Yeah. We're going to get there fast because 
Uh, you know, you talk about Jamal not being out, and then you have those guys like Algie and Francis and Adam and uh, Bert and all those guys jumping in and, and kind of carrying the load. All the receivers, everybody kind of carried the load when we had uh, injuries. And same thing happened on the defensive side. Did uh, you get out of this schedule what you wanted? Because you challenged yourself more in this one. Oh, absolutely. I, I think we did. Um, you know, we went back to Michigan, and everybody was – thinking that this was going to be the next one. And we got punched in the mouth. And I think there's something to take away from that. I think it humbled our team that you realize when you go into places like that, which we will be doing a lot in the future, you better buckle up. You better be ready to go. That this isn't just another walk in the park and that you can bring in your BYU tradition and throw it out on that Michigan tradition. You can't do that. If you're going to play teams like Michigan State, Mississippi State, USC, go on and on. When you come to those games, you better be ready to get bruised up and do a little bruising. BYU has a chance at 10 wins for the first time in four years by going to the bowl game. What kind of a BYU following and crowd do you anticipate as the Cougars go for win number 10 in Las Vegas? Uh, I think they'll be a big crowd. Uh, I think that it's nice because it's early, it's before Christmas. Um, it's local. Yes. We have people coming from Southern Cal, Vegas, and Utah, the, the Intermountain West. It's a great location. That's why the Vegas Bowl is such, has been so good to BYU and, and us for them. So I would think that, especially with a good matchup like we're going to get, it's going to be fun, be a good crowd. And uh, how are tickets available for fans? You can do it, man. I, you know, I don't know. I just show up and walk in with the team. But. I know. You don't need a ticket. <laughs> the fans are like, how do, we can't just go in with Tom. Yeah, you go to BYUtickets.com and they take care of you. Gotcha. You how, buy them today, though, because they're going fast. How do we get a shovel from the groundbreaking for the, for the set? How, how much money did you donate to that program? Uh, let's chat after. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I, I will say it's this. Just a shovel. The one thing that's cool about that is that we don't build that without big donations. Absolutely. And we made that point, and I think we express our gratitude. But to be fair, that is a combination of great donations, but also a lot of passion. There's a lot of people that didn't donate. That's what I donated, Didn't donate one dollar. You look at The Rock, you look at the kids through the years, the fans that have come for 40 years since that thing was built, and there's a lot of people that say, that's my, that's my building, the Merritt Center. And I think it's cool being the Merritt Center annex that is part of that tradition of the Merritt Center. And so, you know what? I'll try to find you a shovel. Okay. Thank you. That was, that it, was a long it, answer. It looked for... look really good up on the set. Yeah, that was a long answer, but I like the uh, answer. Hey, we've still got your uh, all-access pass back there as well, Tom, so we need something else from the athletic director. If it's a shovel, great. Uh, I'll take a shovel. <laughs> okay. I donated passion, by the way. Okay. <laughs> Tom, we'd like you to sign our new stretch Y flag before you leave the studio. And uh, you should know, I had this conversation with uh, some members of the soccer team. I dare you to find a more hands-on athletic director than Tom Homo. We can't think of one, man. Keep up keep up the good work. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. All right, guys. Up next on BYU Sports Nation, Jack Morris, World Series champion and MVP, former BYU baseballer. BYU Sports Nation brought to you in part by the Cougar Club, supporting BYU's 623 student-athletes. Welcome to the club. Hey, Saturday, Men's Hoops is back in action against Weber State. Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern time on BYU TV and BYU Radio. That one live from Vivint Smart Home Arena in Salt Lake, formerly known as Energy Solutions Arena, formerly known as the Delta Center. I'm just going to call it the Delta Center. Oh, you mean the Salt Palace? 
Yes, where Ron Boone won the ABA title in 78. Utah Stars, let's go. Here are today's <laughs> BYUSN headlines. BYU football officially now in the Las Vegas Bowl. The Cougars announced the invitation yesterday afternoon. BYU awaiting a Pac-12 opponent. The game on Saturday, December 19th, 3.30 Eastern on ABC. BYU basketball lost 83-75 last night at Utah. Chase Fisher scored 26 points in the second half. Jakob Pertl had 26 and 13 boards for the Utes. As mentioned, BYU plays Weber State Saturday. Kyle Collinsworth now on the Naismith and Oscar Robertson watch lists awarded to the National Player of the Year. And Jimmer Fredette put up 22 points, 9 assists, 7 rebounds, and 5 steals yesterday in the Westchester Knicks 98-97 loss, their first of the season in the NBA Development League. Hey, didn't Jimmer win the Naismith? He did, Consensus yes. National Player yes, of the Year. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline is five-time All-Star, World Series MVP, a member of the No-Hitter Club, and a former BYU baseball great, Jack Morris. Jack, welcome to BYU Sports Nation. Good morning, guys. You will be the keynote speaker at BYU Baseball's third annual First Pitch Fundraising Dinner and Auction on January 8th. How did you initially get involved with that and Mike Littlewood in the program now? Well, it's kind of a elongated story, but I got a, a very good friend who is a NCAA basketball referee, and he knew Mike uh, from his previous uh, um, activities. And uh, when when the whole uh, transition to hire a new baseball coach came about, uh, he asked me to call the athletic director uh, and put in a good word for Mike on his behalf and you know for no other reason than i trust my friend and his judgment i did just that and uh you know i i don't know if i had any input or not but at least i expressed my opinion and uh, mike was hired and uh, from there uh, i guess it's just a matter of us getting to know each other a little bit better uh he's asked me to come out and speak to this uh, banquet well, I think it's great. There have been a lot of uh, notable uh, alumni in the majors uh, from the past, hopefully more here in the future. But I think it's, it'll be great to have you involved uh, with BYU Baseball. What did BYU Baseball mean to you in your career, Jack? Well, it's certainly an integral part of uh, my journey through the, the crazy world of baseball. Uh, I, I was a high school kid here in Minnesota and uh, really pursued, in my mind anyway, a professional career. And I wanted to figure out what the best step for me was. All the years that I grew up in Minnesota, I kind of was thinking that I'd go to the University of Minnesota and and play baseball there. But uh, I realized by the time I was a senior, and we're talking way back in the 70s now, there wasn't a whole lot of kids getting signed out of Minnesota. The the, the program that they had uh, was very limited in their exposure. They had one road trip to Texas, and uh, the Big Ten at the time was cold, and there was snow on the ground and all sorts of things. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I started exploring schools that might have a little bit better opportunity for me if I could excel to get exposed, and BYU certainly was a great fit. I had a sister and cousins that went to BYU, and the idea of snow skiing, even though it was against the rules for us at in baseball, I, I figured, well, you got to break a few rules in life, and I wanted to go snow skiing, so <laughs> I, I visited I visited campus, fell in love with it, and uh, I couldn't have really asked for a better experience in college than what I had at BYU. And you snow skied while at BYU? That's what it sounds like, Jack. Yes, I did. I cannot tell a lie. <laughs> How do you not? You can't avoid it forever. Exactly. That's why I went there. That's why the mountains are there, right? <laughs> it's, it's been a while. It's going to be okay. Yeah. 
Jack Morris <laughs> with us on BYU Sports Nation, former BYU baseball pitching great, World Series MVP. He's going to speak to BYU baseball during the first pitch fundraising dinner. Okay, Jack. I had a technical director when I worked at my first television station in Grand Junction, Colorado. His name was Kimbo. He was the hugest Tigers fan, and any time I mentioned BYU, he would walk me through every single pitch on April 7th, 1984, when he witnessed you throw a no-hitter as he was ditching school. How often do you get asked about that no-hit performance? Well, in all honesty, not very often. I mean, that was a long time ago, so it's just kind of nice. I I need to give the guy a hug uh, because anybody that can go back that far and remember such nonsense is pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was a great day for me personally. It's kind of a magical day. I think you have to have a lot of things going your way to be fortunate enough to throw such a thing. And I had great defense, a great bunch of guys that played behind me. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know as though I could ever uh, say why it happened. Uh, you know, I threw a couple one-hitters in my career, and I was very close to a perfect game once. But uh, the magic happened uh, back in April and, uh, of 1984. I went to one major league game this year, and it happened to be a no-hitter. Hisashi Iwakuma's uh, no-hitter with Seattle Mariners. So that was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I watched a game against Seattle that Iokuma pitched, and he didn't have a no-hitter, but he could have because his stuff was that good that day. And that was only a couple of weeks before he threw the no-hitter. Now tell us about uh, one of the unique pitches that you had was the fork ball, uh, which isn't used a ton. Can you tell us, uh, inform people about what the fork ball is and how you mastered that? Well, I, I, I was in the middle of my major league career uh, with the Tigers, and I kind of was losing – the effectiveness of my slider and uh, had a teammate to pitch with Bruce Suter, uh, Milt Wilcox was his name, and he used to pitch with the Cubs and had Suter as a teammate. And Suter showed him how he threw his fork ball, and Milt uh, tried to help me in between uh, starts one time in the bullpen. He said, why don't you try this? Just play with it a little bit and see what happens. Well, I threw about 20 pitches, and not a thing happened. Everyone slipped out of my fingers, and nothing worked right. And I said, well, that's a waste of time. <laughs> and he says, ah, put your thumb on the side and try it again. You know, I threw about four more, and nothing happened. I was ready to quit. I threw one more, and all of a sudden, magic happened. The ball just exploded straight down. It looked like the ultimate cheat pitch. And I figured, all right, I've got something special here. I've got to figure this out because there's nobody on this planet that's going to be able to hit it. And quite honestly, for about a year in the big leagues, that was the truth. If I could throw it anywhere close to the strike zone, it was almost like a free gift. Can you still throw the fork ball? I cannot. Uh, I, I basically, after over a decade of throwing in the big leagues, uh, it does put a ton of stress on your elbow, and that's why most pitching coaches don't teach it to you majority of the players in the big leagues now is because it does put stress and eventually uh, I tore a ligament there. I probably needed Tommy John surgery but was still able to throw the rest of my pitches without surgery so I pitched my final year with Cleveland without throwing the fork ball anymore. What was it like this past year to be uh, one of the analysts with Kirk Gibson uh, with the Tigers on TV? Well, I actually don't didn't work with Kirk. Kirk and I actually do the same job, so we switched roles. Uh, you know, he alternated when I wasn't there, and uh, Rod Allen is their full time guy. And uh, you know, Gibby and I were, were teammates in Detroit during a great run in '84 and beyond. Uh, you know, he's he's one of the most intense guys I've ever known, and uh, certainly has a passion for the game. He's managed. Uh, you know, he's fighting a, a very tough thing right now in Parkinson's disease, but. Kirk's a battler, and he's going he's gonna to continue to do everything he can to stay active and live a, 
a full life. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. There are some BYU ties currently on that Detroit Tigers coaching roster. Wally Joyner is a hitting coach, is he not? Wally is, and it's funny because uh, when Wally got hired by the Tigers, which to me was quite odd. I mean, you, you just can't have a guy that never played for Detroit be one of their coaches, but it's the way it is in the in the game of, of baseball. And so I, I looked up the numbers that Wally had off me, and, and lo and behold, I think Wally Joyner hit me better than any player in my entire career. I think no he ended kidding. Like, mm. Hitting something like 429. So how embarrassing is it <laughs> that I, as the announcer, have to go up and say, hey, Wally, welcome to Detroit. By the way, uh, you hit me better than anybody else I ever faced in my life. <laughs> and he laughed, and he says, well, good. <laughs> Where's the BYU discount there? Come on, Wally. Yeah, yeah. well, Jeez. I guess we were never teammates, so he didn't realize yeah. there was supposed to be respect. So so in the 70s and 80s, BYU was able to produce these these names in the major leagues that people know, you know, you and Wally, Corey Snyder, Rick. Aguilera, these guys. Uh, what will it, what would it take maybe nowadays to try and get back to that for BYU baseball in an era where uh, you know they have an indoor practice facility? You didn't back in the day. I don't even know what you guys did. Well, you know, I think it's so much about recruiting and getting the right kids. Uh, you know, baseball is a tough, tough game, and it's become an international game. There's more more and more Latins and now Asians coming into the game, and, and that's great. It's wonderful, but I I still have to, you know, because of my roots, I have to pull for the the guys that are playing the game right here in the U.S., and I think kids just need to understand that in order to make it, you've got to have, number one, a tremendous amount of passion dedicated to your sport. You've got to repeat your skill over and over and over to get any better. And if you're willing to do that, you never know what can happen. But, uh, you know, it really does take uh, the right kid and the right environment, and I, I guess I was really blessed to be a part of BYU because at the time they played a, a very, very uh, good schedule. Uh, I was exposed to a lot of great baseball teams in college level. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it just kept blossoming through my college uh, time into the minor leagues and then into the big leagues. Five-time All-Star World Series MVP and former BYU baseball pitching great Jack Morris with us on the show. Uh, we'll end with this. Who had the better pro baseball mustache, you or Raleigh Fingers? Raleigh did because he was the only guy with a handlebar, well, <laughs> except for like way back in the 1800s. <laughs> Fair enough. Jack, it's been great to have you on the program. You can find out more about the BYU Baseball First Pitch Dinner featuring Jack Morris on the BYU Baseball page at BYUcougars.com. Have a great day, Jack. Thanks for the time. Yeah, thank you, guys. Have a good day. Jack Morris on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, your values, your timeline, your financial future. Listen, he's one of the best athletes to come out of BYU in any sport. World Series MVP, five-time All-Star. I'm, I was really excited to hear that we had Jack Morris on the show today. Legend, man. And when you look at his numbers and what he did, he's like Steve Young. Super Bowl MVP, World Series MVP. World champion, yeah, in both sports. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw the fork ball off the set right now. Up next, <laughs> a Jimmer update. BYU Sports Station presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan doing it live from Studio B. Remember, if you ever miss an episode of the show live, the rebroadcast airs weeknights on BYU TV starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. 13 seed BYU women's volleyball takes on Ohio Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time. They only rank 16 seeds, so BYU, one of the best teams in the country. You can watch that live on BYU TV tomorrow night, 9 Eastern. If BYU wins that matchup, they'll play Saturday night, 
9 Eastern as well. We will have that game on BYU TV. Joining us now, our third guest via the Deseret First Credit Union hotline is Jason Franchuk, formerly of the Provo Daily Herald, now doing awesome things for the Albany Times Union as a reporter. Jason, Jason, welcome to the show, man. Fellas, always good to hear from the 801. (laughs) Just talk to Ben Bagley, too. And it's funny, I still have my uh, cell phone number, so when I'm calling people, out here, sometimes I have to call twice because they think I'm a telemarketer or something. Nobody recognizes the 801 number. So I was happy to uh, talk to you guys, and I pick up, and I still miss Utah. I love Utah, and I hope everything's going well for you guys. Well, Things decent, very well. Decent, yeah. Well, BYU lost by eight at Utah, so not Other so than that, not, not well, so great. Yeah. But, yeah. Besides, and, you know, I, I've only been kind of following that game on Twitter. I do a lot of work for Bleacher Report, so I was actually following Duke, Indiana last night. And I'll tell you what, Utah's really good this year. I think BYU's going to get them. Really, I know nothing except for what I've seen on Twitter. I'm surprised to see that's what dangerous. Nick Emery's going with there, but I think BYU's going to be a better team than uh, than people understand right now. It's just going to take some time. They've got so many new guys. Okay, so you were at uh, the Westchester Knicks game yesterday, and is Jimmer Mania back, Jason? Not back. It's actually really interesting, guys. He's, he was uh, drafted by the Westchester Knicks, so part of the D-League, and then rather than reporting to them right away as it appeared he would, he got an opportunity to go back in the NBA with New Orleans, and the Pelicans, as you guys might know, had, had an odd opportunity to sign a, a, an extra player because they had so many injuries, especially along the guard line. Well, Jimmer ended up going there for nine days, didn't even get off the bench, and I asked him about it yesterday, and he said he was surprised. He, he went back because he thought he was going to get playing time, and that's been the big issue at this point in his career is he's hardly played. He needs minutes, just like a baseball player needs a bath and might get uh, sent back to the minors. So I missed Monday's game. That was his official opener in Westchester. I actually had family in town for Thanksgiving and couldn't make it down, but Wednesday worked out to be really good because it was an 11 a.m. game. They actually had the arena, a 5,000-seat place full of kids. It was kind of a matinee game. They gave tickets to local schools. And it was also a big anti-bullying campaign. And if you know Jimmer at all, he's been largely into that with uh, the Fredette Family Foundation and everything. So you'd think he'd be at home, but it was interesting when they announced him, guys, hardly any extra ovation than what any other player receives. So young kids don't quite understand Jimmer mania. He's playing well. He scored 59 points in two games when I saw him yesterday at 22. But the bigger thing to the Knicks is, you know, he's drawing uh, attention. He's moving the ball around. But he's, again, he's not used to getting big minutes right now. He's played about 80 at this point. He wore down in the last minutes. He missed three shots that really could have – uh, really helped um, Westchester come back from an 18-point deficit. He airballed a little runner with about a minute left, and he looks sore. He looks tired. So this is not the Jimmer BYU fans know, the guy who played about 39 minutes, 35, 35 to 38 minutes, I guess, as a college senior. So he's nowhere near what he used to be. But it's interesting. He's 26 years old, guys. It's amazing how time flies, and this is really his last shot. He's really trying to latch onto the Knicks, who have an open uh, roster spot right now. What's his attitude like right now, Jason, being in the D-League, trying to get back to the NBA, and he hopes with the New York Knicks? It's really fascinating to try and gauge his attitude and that he's always kept things kind of close to the vest. You know, you talk to him or, you know, I talk to other media members, 
in upstate New York about him, or, you know, you talk to people who've covered the Westchester Knicks for the last couple nights, and Tripper doesn't say a whole lot. He never has been an incredibly quote-worthy athlete. I mean, even when he was in his prime with Jim Romania, he's always a nice kid to talk to. Don't get me wrong. And, you know, he's forthright to a degree, but he's never been somebody who's going to lay it all out there and, and keep his emotions on his sleeve or anything like that. But this is a guy who's been yanked around a lot. I almost compared a lot to Alex Smith, uh, you know, who was a former number one pick with the uh, Utah Utes and his quarterback. He got yanked around with a number of offensive coordinators. Jimmer's gotten yanked around with a number of systems. I, I think the really interesting thing, guys, and I know you guys have seen him, uh, Jimmer, back in town when he's playing against the Jazz. He's just outsized, if that's a word, at this level. I mean, I remember seeing him go against Alec Burks. And, and Jimmer, you see him even at the D-League level. Guys are just a lot bigger than him, that they can control his dribble. And Jimmer, the first game, he had, a, he had 37 points Monday, and it's with a lot of moves trying to get into the lane, create just like he used to do at the Marriott Center and in the Mountain West Conference. And that stuff didn't fly on Wednesday. I mean, obviously, like I mentioned, he was more tired and everything, but uh, a team was ready to control him a little bit more. So he, he's trying to be a, a guy getting baskets like he did in the old days isn't going to fly. He's looking for an opportunity like a lot of these D-leaguers are to play spot minutes to get on a roster and show what he can do, and they really need him. The Knicks, that is. I, I think they would promote him if he's a guy that can kind of come in for a few minutes, maybe take a shot, but also draw some attention and set up guys. I was really most impressed the other day, yesterday, when he had a play when he set up a big fella. Jimmer got into the paint and then flipped the ball behind him, and Jordan Bashinsky, a former Arizona State player who also happens to be LDS, actually, uh, had a big slam dunk. So he can do little things. I think they like having his attitude. He's great with kids. He's, he'll be great in the community as long as he's at Westchester. So there's a reason teams want him. But I don't know his immediate future. He might have to be in the D-League for a while. And I think you start to see him get more offers internationally. I don't know if he's talked to Travis Hansen or anything like that or other, other BYU guys have taken that route, but I think there may be some, some great lucrative opportunities that he'd have to at least consider because certainly the money would be a lot better. Do Knicks fans and or people in Westchester and New York, I don't know the population there, uh, do they want Jimmer on the Knicks? Are they excited about Jimmer being there? I think they want anybody who can win. I, I don't think, put it this way, Jerem, um, Jimmer is not as polarizing in Westchester as he would have been in Utah had he signed on with the Jazz. You know, I think there was obviously a Utah Utes uh, fan coalition that probably wouldn't would not have wanted Jimmer there. <laughs> there may be NBA fans who would have said, Hey, we want a different point guard, you know, different off shooting guard, whatever. But I think Knicks fans, I just don't think Jimmer's name plays like that. I think there's a lot of people who want that kid to play well. It's interesting. I ended up talking to a guy who he's a college student, is from Westchester, which is basically, you know, it's probably maybe a half million people, the county itself. It's just north, maybe even more probably, uh, north of New York City talked to a college kid, and he was wearing a blue number 32 Jimmer Fredette jersey and, you know, had no ties to BYU or Glens Falls. He was raised in that area north of New York City and just loved Fredette's game, said he loved it because, hey, it was a relatable guy who wasn't the fastest guy in the court, wasn't the biggest, tallest guy in the court, but had an incredible shot and had an incredible senior season. So I think there's still people who dream of seeing that Fredette again, but Jimmer's just even when he goes on the court, guys, he's not the same player as far as uh, – I just remember seeing Jimmer go to the Huntsman Center or, you know, the Ahas Arena at San Diego State, and there was just an aura about him. And I can't say he's got that at this level anymore. I think he, he warms up in the game. Certainly, it 
getting used to Westchester and what they do. They're running that triangle offense, just like Phil Jackson and, and the Knicks organization are trying to do. So he's certainly trying to fit in with teammates, assist them, those kinds of things. But that aura isn't quite uh, nearly the same as it used to be. Follow Matt Hark, the Franchuk. Jason, it's been great to have you on the show. Our de facto Jimmer correspondent, if you're okay with that. Yeah, I'm actually absolutely okay with that. No restraining orders were involved. It's just us JFs have got to stick together <laughs> when we move around the country here. You got it, Jason. Thanks for the time. Always great talking to you guys. Have a great one. Jason Franchuk on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, your values, your timeline, your financial future. Reporter for the Albany Times Union has been watching Jimmer closely over the past 24 to 48 hours. With the generous support of the Cougar Club, BYU's 623 student-athletes are role models, leaders, graduates, and champions. Be willing to help them succeed with your donation, and welcome to the club. What is your takeaway from last night's BYU loss to Utah? This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation, guys. The BYU store isn't the best place for tossing the football. You're taking a nap? Seriously? Okay, you can find plenty of general interest and religious books and a wide selection of treats. I'll admit, the cougar wear looks great on Spencer. We are live in the BYU store. Now this is your best idea. The BYU store. Proud to sponsor BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio and BYU TV. It was there for you over a thousand times yesterday. It was there for you today, and it will be there tomorrow. As long as you're making memories, it will be here to save them for you. It's what we do. We create the technology that saves your memories. I am Flash, connecting people through memory. Can you keep a secret? It's about BYU. How would you like to park 50 feet from class? Take GE classes with 20 people instead of 800. Knock off some core classes and do it right in Salt Lake City. The secret is the BYU Salt Lake Center. It's the real deal. BYU classes, BYU credit, BYU professors, just not in Provo. Not that there's anything wrong with Provo. And with classes at night, keep that sweet job or take on an internship. The BYU Salt Lake Center, the best kept secret in Salt Lake? Well, not anymore. See for yourself at slc.byu.edu. BYU Sports Station is presented in part by DexterLaw.com. Help when you need it most. Future guests include John Beck and Camry Godfrey Willardson. Hey, hey, hey guys, can I interrupt for just a second? Oh, Ben Bagley Tom, taking over. Tom Homo came through. The best athletic hey. director in all of college hey. football. Here's your request, and he delivered. There, there is still dirt on the shovel. There's dirt on the shovel. We, hey, that's immediate gratification. Here, I'll, here, I'll show you. Yeah, that came. Marriott Center Annex groundbreaking shovel hey. has been added to the set. That's awesome. Thank you, Tom there's, Homo. Hey, there's look at the, look. There's tons of dirt on this thing. Awesome. We uh, cut the cougar whip around so we could get the shovel. It was worth it. Today's rise and shout <laughs> brought to you by Dexter and Dexter Help when you need it most. DexterLaw.com. Of course, we're going to give it to Tom Homo now yeah. for delivering the Marriott Center what? Annex groundbreaking shovel. I'm just going to awkwardly hold it right here like this <laughs> until the end. Yeah, play your guitar or a shovel, whatever. <laughs> Holy cow, that's Marriott awesome. Santa Thank Annex. you, Tom Homo. The YMCA is going to be awesome. Hey, here, I'll, I'll go put it over there. I was going to say, where are we going to put, put it? it? We've yeah. got to find a place gotta, for it. While Jerem does that, let's read our elite tweet of the day from at JNails21 in response to this question. What is your takeaway from last night's BYU loss to Utah? This is basketball. He says this. 
the Vegas Bowl will be fun. <laughs> Listen, I hope Total you will, ignorance. I hope for BYU, basketball. I hope BYU and Utah can play in the Vegas Bowl. I don't think Utah would want to do that, but it's there's there's a shot. Tom Holm will acknowledge that it's an option. At AA fourteen DK says this: This team has a long way to go. Emory has a fire I don't want to mess with. Uh, yeah, Utah's good. Bigs need more touches. They need to finish at the rim. I Corbin thought that needs Corbin, more minutes. Kafusi, and Cut, well, oh. self-inflicted, right? Yeah. With foul trouble. Hey, thanks to Tom Homo, Jack Morris, Jason Franchick. This was a great show, Jerem. I enjoyed the show a lot. Back-to-back shows that I really enjoyed. The conversation continues 24-7 on Twitter using the hashtag BYUSN. Our show on demand, BYUSN.com. Download the audio podcast on iTunes and or the TuneIn app. For Jerem, I am Spencer. Shout-out to Isaac Kelly. BYU Sports Nation gets back to work tomorrow at noon Eastern. What are we going to do with that shovel? I I don't know. Build a building? Build the YMCA? (laughs) I'm going to take it and start digging away right now!